0: Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all-new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI-powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit hubspot.com service to learn more. Hey, hey, welcome everyone to this week's episode of Marketing Against the Grain. I am your co-host, Kip Bodner. I am joined by the man who is very depressed because he's not playing chess. He's instead podcasting with all of you, Kieran Flanagan. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I have great updates in chess. I'm excited to get into them. All right. I want to get to that in just a second, but we're joined by a very special guest. I also want to welcome Capri Wheaton, who is the founder of Dressed.com. Welcome, Capri. Thanks for being here today. Hey, guys. Capri, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I first discovered you on Twitter. You had an amazing tweet about how you applied and successfully got into the University of California at Berkeley, and I thought that was amazing marketing, and so I wanted to talk to you. But then I learned about your business journey and how you co-founded address.com and the amazing community you've been building there and some of the community tactics that you've been doing there. And I am very, very excited for you to be here today and deep dive on all of that with you. So for everybody listening, I know you want to hear Kieran's chess update. You were trying to sell a chess NFT. You're obsessed with chess.com. What's going on, Karen?
1: So the background in this is chess.com can do an integration with treasure.chess.com and you can mint your games and sell them as NFTs. The problem that I had is someone would have bought that for a lot of money, but the bottom has fallen out of the crypto market. So that is the only reason. (laughs) (laughs) That's the reason you haven't sold it? I've not sold any NFTs for my chess wins. There is a new play to earn game coming out that I'm in the Discord channel for where you can buy <laughs> NFTs to play in different chess leagues <laughs> and do play to earn. So, Who are you? I don't know. What do, you do, what do you do with your life? I don't know. What am I doing with my life? I did question that earlier on this morning.
0: Speaking of, you know, other losing battles, let's talk about the economy for a minute. Capri, I want to hear from you a little bit because I feel like Twitter, which is some place that the three of us are very active, kind of lost its mind this week officially about the economy and the markets. The tech markets and, and broader stock markets really crashed. The crypto markets have cratered. You know, VCs are out there saying, you know, preserve cash. Valuations are coming down. You're running a startup. What yeah. like what does this all mean to you? Like, what are you doing? What do you think people should do?
2: Oh, man. I mean, several months ago, before Twitter kind of freaked out, everyone was saying this was really going to affect later stage startups, Series C, Series D, Series E, etc. But what's interesting is I've noticed this Twitter panic has really affected early stage startups, especially when it comes to fundraising. A lot of angels, a lot of pre-seed funds, a lot of seed funds are still super spooked. So I don't really know what this means, except that it's going to be really hard for, to fundraise probably in the coming months.
0: One of the things everybody's out there and I would love to hear from you and Kieran about it, is like when there's more uncertainty around your budget, whether you're at a startup, whether at a big company, how do you think about spending it differently during times of economic uncertainty?
2: I mean, it is terrifying. I feel like the only way though is just to kind of commit to the chaos, <laughs> which is kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that. I mean, we have, you know, a certain amount of runway and at the end of the day, we have goals to meet and To some extent, I feel like it honestly looks worse if you don't meet those goals and you don't grow than if you choose the opposite.
1: The choices are almost easier for a startup than a a late-stage company because a startup, you Mm -hmm. actually have to just do the things that can hit your immediate numbers. Like You don't really have to think about where do I divest and what long-term bets do I not want to proceed with how do I keep the lights on? How do I keep growing this month? What are the things I can do to do that? Whereas for a lot of late-stage companies, where would you cut, right? Because in in a late-stage company, you're much more a portfolio manager of bets, like my immediate bets, my medium-term bets, and my long-term bets. And I think probably most companies will decide to cut things that are in the longer-term bucket and cut things that are in the more unmeasurable bucket. And I think They're usually the right things to do, whether it's hedging towards something long term that no one else does, you actually come out of it in a much stronger position. I think that's the interesting thing like never waste a good crisis. It's how can you actually do the
0: opposing thing that most companies will actually end up doing. I think you're right on that. But I think there's a way to reframe it to make it more opportunistic versus maybe more defensive. You know, as as you go into a, a bull market cycle where, you know, there's a lot of capital in the market, a lot of competition in the market, it happens slowly, right? We were basically on a 13-year bull run. And so you kind of don't notice a lot of the costs inflating and prices being reset. When it crashes, the market gets reset actually pretty quickly. Yeah. Within like three to six months, the market gets reset. And I think what my advice to everybody is to understand how the market reset and prices are resetting and adjust your strategy accordingly. Like if the market's resetting and paid ad costs are going down in your market, then maybe you can lean in heavy there and actually get more growth at a much more cost effective way in the short term. I don't know if that's actually true or if. The flip side is if all of your competition is just pushing into paid ads and the market's in a tough spot and your ad costs are rising, then even though there's a short-term strategy that can be effective, it might actually get the growth goals you need. And you might need to then lean into more organic or campaign-based, some perceived slightly longer lead time, you know, three to six months versus immediate month, immediate quarter strategies. I mean, Capri, like you're talking to a bunch of people, founders in your network who are going through this. Like, what do you think the prevailing sentiment is out there as we kind of like finish up on our economic check-in that we're doing for everybody today? Like, what do you think the the pulse is of the market right now?
2: I mean, I can really only speak for early stage founders. And I would just say the sentiment is just, everyone's frustrated. Really. I mean, we're frustrated that this is kind of hitting us at this stage so soon. Interesting. We feel like a lot of it is kind of unnecessary freakout, at least when it comes to angel investors and super, super early stage funds. Um, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, the only way to keep things going is to keep writing checks and to keep investing. So all of us are just kind of like, you know what? It is what it is. If we have to push back our fundraises and kind of go heads down for a bit, you know, we're going to do that.
0: Yeah. You feel like you just got started. Is that, is that the sentiment I'm getting? I mean, you're like, I, I, you have the momentum. It's like, yeah. you feel like you have the momentum and you want to just keep it going.
2: Right. Yeah, of course. It's just like, you're kind of operating your heads down. You're doing this thing. It's like, Oh, what's this market thing over here? You know, why is everyone <laughs> freaking out. Like I'm just trying to close the checks and move on with my life. You know, I
1: think good companies in the pre-seed seed ranch would still get funded. Pre-seed seed is a bet on 10 years from now, and then 10 years from now, I suspect like if you have long-term thinking, this is a maybe 12, 24 month thing. What I do think happened over the past two years is like a lot of people rushed into VC, like a lot of new investors and probably didn't have the same kind of due diligence as had been previous. And so I wonder if we just get back to like, okay, well, like we really do care about the team, the metrics, the numbers, the product, the problem you're trying to solve. So maybe there's still funding there, but there's just a lot more due diligence than there
0: has been in the past. Yeah, I, I talked to somebody who's raised in a pre-seed yesterday and he's got basically almost $2 million committed already. So it's like there's definitely money out there for folks listening who are in that earlier stage. But I think it's right. harder and it's getting like back to the fundamentals, which is kind of your what you're pushing on. And, it, you know, what may have taken the founder a lot less work six months ago is probably going to take you a little bit more work today. But that, that being said, my takeaways for everybody from me is like control what you can control. You get back to fundamentals know that markets going to do what markets do. But if you build, create and solve for your customers, you're going to be successful in the long term. And I think that's kind of what we heard from Capri where she's focused. And I think exactly the same place, Kieran, you and I are focused. So like what Capri, what I think is interesting about the business you're building because it's a peer-to-peer business that is exceptionally true you know for people who right. don't know dressed is like a peer-to-peer network where people can share clothing am i describing it correctly would you how would you add, add to that free
2: yes yeah yeah peer-to-peer specifically dress focused rental marketplace for events
0: yeah and so when you got this rental marketplace then your community becomes everything. So, Capri, to talk to us for, for a minute about how you mobilize community and the ways that you do it. Because your business is nothing but the community because it's a marketplace business. Like, How do you approach it?
2: Early on, it's a really social game, right? So our social media communities are really important to us. And I think, especially with a marketplace, there's kind of this dynamic of no one wants to join unless their friends are on or un- unless you know influencers they look up to are on. So I think one of my biggest insights in marketing is that You know, you go to a party and you can see like, you know, when someone laughs, who do they turn to to see if they're laughing, like those kinds of social dynamics. And it's really interesting because if you heavily observe on like TikTok, Instagram and Twitter, you can see those exact same social dynamics playing out on the Internet. And so I think using those dynamics to your advantage, figuring out who you need to get on to be able to get other champions on is really important because then you can sort of have like a snowball effect and doing that within micro communities is really important. So like a community of like 10 influencers or a community of resellers who all follow each other and just paying attention to those cues online can be really helpful in building your first community online that really loves your product. And, and how do
0: you like tactically do that for people out there who are just getting started and they're like, hey, I'm in this market and there are these like 10, 20, 30 people who really like make the market in terms of what people think. Like how do you get them on your side?
2: Yeah, I would say first, I just identifying like who you want your power users to be and coming up with a really clear identity for that person. And then, I mean, I usually just go about like Instagram DMing like <laughs> hundreds of people, thousands of people. If you can get them on Zooms or get them in an engaging conversation, that's the best. And just making it a really personalized onboarding experience, having amazing customer service, And then eventually kind of getting them to refer their friends. That's kind of the very manual, like do things that don't scale way. But I think there's also ways to like artificially create hype. So like one of the things we've done in the past and will continue to do is for when you're partnering with influencers to promote your product, a lot of companies just kind of like pick a bunch of random influencers from wherever that are in like the fashion space let's say if their products in fashion and that can be somewhat effective but it doesn't get the same overall united effect as collabing with influencers who are all in the same friend group or all interact with each other's pages or all follow each other. Because if you go about it that way and you choose influencers very intentionally where it's like, you know all these influencers are interacting, you can also then sort of guess based on that, that their followers, there's some overlap between their followers. So this person might follow all five of these influencers, for example. And when you partner with like those influencers in the same friend group, it creates this crazy effect. Like everyone's talking about your product because when you're scrolling on TikTok and you see three of your favorite influencers all talking about the same product, you're like, "Whoa, what is this? Like I gotta get on this. Clearly, there's so many people behind it when in reality, like there could only be like three people behind it, but it looks like you have this crazy community and crazy hype behind you. So I think that's a great way to like artificially create the hype.
0: First of all, I love that example. And it's like you're, you're basically creating feed based hype. Yeah. Right. Where, like, in an, in an absolute yeah. world, maybe not everybody in the world is talking about this thing. But if you're interested in this little small part of the world and you follow people who are obsessed and interested in this topic, then you're like, oh, it feels like that's the whole world in that moment, is basically kind of what you're saying.
2: Exactly. Yes.
0: And then it just drives people to action at a much higher rate.
2: Yes, absolutely. Got
0: it. Okay. So that's, I think that's actually one of the best practical marketing tips anybody's given on the shows. Oh,
2: wow. It's an honor.
0: <laughs> you hear people talk a lot about influencers and, and content folks, but I think the idea of instead of just picking a random list of influencers to say, how do I basically create influencer circles and groups where those people are all connected with the sole goal of not getting reach but to basically manifest this like overwhelming cycle of hype we all do it if we see the same thing a couple times in a in one day we like we go check it out we're right. like, oh, there must yeah. be something to this. Where if you just kind of see it in passing once, it's easy to ignore. Once you see it three, four, five times, you're like, okay, I got to go do this thing. I got to go check this thing out, at least look at it to see see what's up. And that seems like a pretty big way of how you've started and built the community around the, the company you're building.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So the other great piece of advice there is how
1: you build community is actually kind of hand-to-hand combat yes. to begin with, which is like very like go out, get the right people in, try to DM them, try to sell them. People don't think that way. They're like, oh, how do I get thousands of people in my community from day one? I think that is a really great way to scale community, actually. Like start with things that are unscalable because you get the right people in. Community is really interesting because every like 100 people you add, the kind of makeup of the community changes Mm -hmm. and how you engage that community changes and how you actually offer value changes. So I think that's one thing you have to be aware of. One fun thing we could do is in this instance, Kipri, maybe define what community is to you, <laughs> because the thing that people struggle with, community is...
0: Kieran has this ongoing <laughs> crisis of conscience around what community actually means.
1: Yeah, because like some people are like, oh, well, community is anyone who interacts with me, right? On Twitter, on Instagram. like, And then some people are, when I talk about community, a lot of time, what I mean is like someone who's created an account and and are actually interacting with each other in some way so do you think about that does maybe it doesn't really matter right now but like what does community mean to to you and how do you think about that is it social followers is it people within the app that are actually you know listing their products what does kind of community mean for dressed
2: yeah i would say community for early stage startup would be like your most active users who you're kind of texting and Instagram DMing right. you know trying to really solve their problems and trying to get your first group of people who are really who will really like go to bat for you and spread your product like wildfire i think it's really important to think about the strength of your community when you're first starting out because i mean you know, we'd rather have a 100 power users who absolutely love our product than have thousands who are just like, maybe they use it every once in a while, you know, they don't really care, they're not referring their friends, et cetera. I think it's really important, as you said, to sort of be, be very intentional about the first like 100 people that you really bring into that community, because that kind of sets the tone. And, you know, in the past, we've had our users like in Instagram DM group chats, and like we're talking to them all the time. Just a constant feed of like feedback on the product and asking them how we can help them. And I think that really creates a sense of closeness with your customers and with your users. So it's not just like the people using the product, but also the frequency at which you like personally one-to-one interact with them.
1: That to me is how you define community. It's 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 a, it's a group of people who are meaningfully engaged with your brand. Yeah. Like it's not just someone who's randomly subscribed to my newsletter or subscribed to my Twitter, they are actually in some way meaningfully engaging with your brand.
0: So Kieran, serious question. Anything you want to cover until I, I get to hear the story I really wanted to hear? Oh, what is the story? <laughs> the story I really want to hear from Capri is her college acceptance letter tweet, which is like, <laughs> oh. I was like, this person's brilliant. I, this is like one of the best college applications like I've ever seen. And I just want to hear that story. And so for people who... Haven't seen the tweet and everything like I have. Can you can you share this? Because I was like, oh, this person's a marketer. Like she Uh. might call herself a founder, but if you're doing that, you're a marketer. And I want to share this. I want you to share this awesome marketing story with everybody.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I, I was actually very hesitant to share that tweet because it's very, very personal. And I don't know if you read the comments, but I did get quite a bit of backlash on that.
0: Oh, I want to, I didn't read the comments. I want to hear some of the backlash, too. Please. I read the tweet. didn't read the comments. <laughs> yeah, please.
2: I'll, I'll totally get into that, but. Yeah, first, kind of the overall story. I always kind of thought I would go into school and study poli-sci and philosophy. Never thought I would be an entrepreneur. It was not something I ever even knew was possible for me. But I knew I wanted to go to a great school, and Stanford and Berkeley were my top choices. And I was absolutely devastated when I just flat out got rejected from Stanford. And then I also was on the wait list at Berkeley. And I was doing tons of research, and everything I read said yeah, you basically have no chance. So it was kind of my one opportunity to do something crazy because I figured if I don't really put myself out there and get my application in the hands of a real person, then I'm just going to get rejected. And, you know, whatever, it's it's worth a shot. So My dad and I were like sitting around the table brainstorming things we could do, and we just came up with this really funny idea to send all the Berkeley admissions counselors an emergency memo uh, basically saying that they had forgotten a student off the, the admissions list, and then write like a list of instructions, like go to Capri Wheaton's file, like (laughs) reread her application, watch her change the world. And so we drafted that up and I ended up sending it to, I think all the general admissions counselors as well as the admissions counselors specific to Oregon Mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, I think it was, I didn't hear anything back over email, but about a two days later, I got my acceptance uh, notification.
0: Oh, wow. That's cool. (laughs) That's crazy. It's a quick turnaround. Yeah. And how did you, were those delivered like hard copy digital? What was the actual experience
2: like? So I I just sent it over email and then all the admission stuff was in just this online portal where you kind of have this login and then it pops up when you get a new message. And so it popped up that I was on the wait list and then you kind of log out and then I you'd log back in at a later date to kind of view your decision and they let you know when you get an update.
1: It's a great example of email marketing. Like there's a clear copy, clear benefits around the product. In this case, you 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 are the product, clear call to action and actually the right users to actually read that thing. I think that's very, very, very cool. Thank
0: well, it's you. also like a really cool example of what we were talking about like in the economic thing is like you, you're, you're kind of set up for that was like I really wanted to go to one of these two schools and I got rejected from one of them. And so I had to do anything I could, you know, like you were very focused. You weren't trying to spread this like wide approach. You're like, I have to do something very different, very unique to get what I want to get in the short term. And you're like, cool. Well, what am I going to do to actually get that versus just like follow the basic process like everybody else? I I love that. Now, I got to know, what what were the haters saying in the comments?
2: Oh, man. I mean, I, I feel like the... <laughs> I just
0: got to know. I just got to know. I'm too curious.
2: Yeah, most it wasn't too bad. Most of the haters were saying like, oh, you're disrespecting education. How did you go through all that? Go to all those links, you know, to get into Berkeley and then just drop out. That's so disrespectful. And oh. I feel like people always think they know the story. But I mean, in reality... The reality was much more complicated than that. You know, we were in a global pandemic. You know, I really didn't receive financial aid from Berkeley. I was making a huge sacrifice to go to my dream school and things are complicated. Like that's life. So it was was a tough decision for sure. But I did get some hate for it. Yeah.
0: so, So people people were frustrated that you went to all that links and then you dropped out of Berkeley. Yeah. Right. Yeah, (laughs) You have the option to
1: do that because you went to all those great lengths to get get into Berkeley. So you have the right to be able to do that because you managed (laughs) to do that in the first place. People are weird. I don't know why people are so obsessed with other people. I will never be able
0: to get my head around that. But in all seriousness, what you did was you did something that most people in this world are really bad at, which is walking away from something that you once thought was the most important thing right? It's like, oh, the most important thing, Like I'm willing to go to great lengths to be at this university, learn in this way, be with this group of people. And then you admitted that it was no longer what you wanted and or what was best for you. How do you go from, oh, I love this thing to like, oh, I want to basically take on all the risk in the world and start (laughs) start a company and like venture into a world that I you know, I know some stuff about, but I'm by no means an expert, you know, it's not like any of us here have started and run multiple companies, you know, and so how did that happen?
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting when people mention risk, like people always tell me, wow, you're so brave to drop out of college. This
0: is good. This is what I was hoping.
2: And (laughs) I honestly, I think that's kind of all A load of crap. I mean, I think people have this perception. (laughs)
0: Just (laughs) getting all
2: my hot takes. I (laughs) I
0: make the argument you had more risk staying at Berkeley than doing what you're doing.
2: Well, I I mean, to some extent, right? Because it's like, look, there are what, like 10,000 undergrads at Berkeley, you know, however many thousands of them or hundreds of them come out with the same poli-sci degree, the same Mm -hmm. consulting clubs. And, you know, when I really think about like what, is gonna make you employable or what is gonna really drive your life forward. I think it's being unique and having skills that no one else really has. And I think it's very difficult to get that in the college experience. So for me, it's like, okay, yes, technically what I'm doing right now is kind of risky, but if I wanted to get a job, I could get a job faster than every single one of my friends. I mean, right. when all your friends are running companies, it's kind of easy to just hit someone up and and get a job or to talk to some of the largest companies that you've already talked to and already have relationships with or same with investment firms. So in some ways, it's actually kind of de-risking your life by putting yourself in a position to kind of meet people who could employ you if I don't know <laughs> if you ever need that. Well, you
0: bring you bring up like the right point and Kieran this is something like you and I have talked a lot about like off of the show but it's like it's a kind of, it's basically the opportunity cost of life right you know it's like what's the opportunity cost of anything I'm doing at that given moment and what was really interesting is like that's the kind of the choice you made it's like oh I could continue to go into debt right yeah for, you know basically continue to go into debt to whatever level you were going into debt to basically have an undifferentiated you know, kind of symmetrical income long-term to like basically pay down that debt. So the opportunity cost was actually pretty high. And if right. your opportunity cost is pretty high, then your risk of doing something else is actually pretty low. Yeah. And you're like, hey, well, actually, worst case, my opportunity cost is neutral because I'm not, I don't have debt. I'm learning. And basically, right. I'm learning for free. The worst thing that could ever happen to you right now is you learned a bunch of stuff and ended up with zero dollars. Yeah which is actually a way better outcome than learning a bunch of stuff and having lots of debt.
2: Right. (laughs) right? I totally (laughs) agree.
0: (laughs) But but it's funny because people don't think about it that way at all. People like we've normalized and this comes to like the comfort of brand that the safe choice is always the better choice. And the reality is the safe choice is seldom the better choice. It is actually very
1: rarely it's because the safe choice, it's what we've talked about before is the safe choice is no different from being in the middle. Yes. And being in the middle is the hardest spot to be. Like we give people some career advice where you never want to be in the middle. Like you want to either excel at an emergent trend or excel at a core discipline that people want.
0: That's such a cool story, Capri. Thank you. Very few people have the choice to make decisions that are brave, you know, and that's and that's pretty remarkable. So you're a smart person who could be doing anything in the world. Like, why are you doing it? Why did you you start this company? Why are you solving this problem?
2: I mean, I think at this point, I'm just kind of living by the motto of following the adventure and following what excites me and what makes me happy. Um, At this point, I've talked to a lot of different people, you know, top executives, people who have sold their companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. And at the end of the day, I mean... You just see so many people just unhappy in so many different scenarios. And I think that's really motivating to every day just wake up and be like, okay, the only person who gets to design my life is me. And if I'm unhappy in this situation, whether that's school or whether that's running my startup or w- doing whatever else, being in a relationship, like I always want to have the courage to leave. And that doesn't mean I want to just, you know, give up on everything, obviously, but I think it's, um, I, I think people don't leave often enough, and I think people don't quit often enough.
0: Hell, yes. I love that. Mm. Why don't they?
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it's because um, it it's really scary. I mean, I, I still face this all the time where my family members and my friends are like, when are you coming back to school? Like, when are you graduating? You know? And it does make me feel bad, and I see the, you know, I get the FOMO when all my other friends are graduating, but I know this is the right decision for me. So, you know, if I have to put up with some flack sometimes, it is what it is.
0: Well, it shows you the power of perception, right? You know, the perception of what a group of people think can have so much power over an individual, more so than like any rational, logical, explanation or right outcome can and it seems like what you did is you made this awesome decision to say like no i'm going to listen to myself and try to like push that perception to the side which is really cool
1: the other cool thing is uh did you say like people don't quit people are not willing to to quit yeah
0: (laughs) she said people don't quit enough kieran she is fundamentally like drew the line she's like people do not quit enough
1: (laughs) i i i want to make sure people understand that point because we made this point in terms of growing your business. Yes. Like there's a lot of things right. you will try and a lot of things that will not work, but you kind of keep going on. Oh, maybe maybe it will work, maybe it will work. And people just do not quit because quitting is admitting that I was wrong and quitting is saying I have to find something else. And I, I can't emphasize that being a great quality to really master is like, I know when this is not working and I will pivot and try something else, whether that is in life, career, business, whatever that may be. Like, I totally agree with that. Like quitting stop doing things that are not working and try to pivot to things that are going to be uh, much more successful. The other thing I would love to give you credit for, because I was thinking about this this morning, is you, is you are one of the few startups that have got such an amazing domain name. Oh, thanks. <laughs> right? I know it's really, sm- I, I know it's really sm- but You might just snag yourself a .com that yeah. is, totally means it totally means what the business does, dressed. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that it's is amazing. so rare in startup land. Like, you, you just end up with a dot .com that means nothing to do with the business, but... <laughs> How did you get? Did you buy that of someone, or was that available? Yeah,
2: so I, I it was available on GoDaddy. I think I actually did have to like they kind of brokered the transaction because someone did already own it. But it was such a funny moment. I was I was actually on the phone with one of my investors. We were talking about names, throwing out ideas. She hated all my ideas. I'm like the worst at coming up with names. I'm literally horrible. <laughs> but she was like, "How about dressed?" And I was like, "Yeah." Let's do that. And so we just both (laughs) saw that the domain name was available and it was pretty expensive. And I was just like, I told her the number and I was like, this is how much it is. And she was like, okay. And I was like, all right.
0: How much was the domain? You you can tell us. Yeah. Tell tell us us that you have to tell us. It it was
2: $3,500.
0: Okay. That was way cheaper than I thought. Really? You were. That was
2: a steal. Oh man. <laughs> I
0: thought we were gonna at least say ten grand. That was such a steal. If you got that domain for thirty five hundred bucks, you should be happy. Your heart help me. Look, it's a lot of money, but in the world of domain names, that's it's pretty good domain. It's a great domain name for that money. Like that's that's amazing. Right.
2: That's good to know. Okay, cool.
0: <laughs> Props to Kieran for, for going back to his SEO roots and bringing up your domain name <laughs> as like the thing he wanted to talk about. <laughs> the one thing I would say, I want to go back to just the like people don't quit enough for like one final point. Kieran, I thought you were really on to something. You were like, look, people don't quit enough because... They don't want to admit they're wrong. I think that the three right. of us and hopefully everybody listening can just change the way we think thinking about that. Because when I, when I look to Capri, it's like she's somebody, you, my interpretation is like, you don't say, hey, I was wrong when I quit something. You say, I have learned what I needed to learn so now I can go mm-hmm. to the next thing. Right? It's not being about r- right or wrong. It's like I have learned, I've learned something and now I can do something different. Yeah. Right.
2: I think the best way to phrase that could just be like, hey, I'm running this experiment. Like... I'm gonna run mm-hmm. this experiment and go to college. And if it doesn't work out, great. What's the other option, you know? Or I'm gonna run this experiment of this marketing campaign. If it doesn't work, like what did we learn? And yeah, I love that framework.
1: It's also the best leaders are the leaders who make a decision for now and change their mind if things change. Like yes. the worst leaders are the ones who make a decision and then are like, I'm, never, I'm not gonna change that because I don't want people to think I'm, I can be wrong. Yeah. It's like, no, like you, you have, you have inputs. I can make a decision based upon inputs I have today. when those inputs change, I may change my mind and decide something else. And that to me is what great leadership is.
2: I love that.
0: Okay. I mean, look, I've, I've had so much fun with this conversation. I know we're about up on time. Capri, I want you to close us out with like, you're somebody who, you know, you've quit things, you've made hard choices, you've started things. You're now doing something you deeply believe and You're passionate about like, what's your advice to other people who are thinking about doing the same?
2: Hmm. Um, I would say find great mentors. Uh, Try to get a tribe around you who will support you. And at the end of the day, sometimes you just kind of have to tune everyone else out and just make a decision for you. I mean, especially when it's, I mean, when you're thinking about going to college or leaving college or starting a startup, those are all very, very personal decisions. And I think it all comes back to this idea of, of life design and just really sitting down with yourself Mm. and being like, what do I want my life to look like? What are my core values? And for me, like one of those things is freedom to make my schedule, um, you know? And so I would just say like, just keep checking in with yourself. And yeah, you got this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's especially a good sentiment to end on, given everything we talked about around the economy. But I I love it, Capri. Thank you so much. While I won't be a customer because it's a product for women, I hope hope that you're super successful. And I hope that we get to see the business grow and, and succeed. And thanks so much for coming on and sharing some of your experience and your knowledge with us today.
2: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Marketing Against the Grain. We'll be back next time.